Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stay with us as the suns get set to shine. Mary, the guy heard. Here's the jump shot. Comes to Marley. A long three. He got it. He got it. Into Booker. Here's the three. Suzanne! Sir Charles. And he flies in for a wham, bam, slam. Bravo time. He got it. Welcome to 7 Seconds or Less, a podcast about the NBA and the Phoenix Suns. My name is Max McCauley and I am joined, as always, by my co-host. His name is David Nash. How are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. I know, it's been a bit of a break, but I'm excited to be back and never going to turn down a chance to talk Suns basketball with you and our guest this week, Max. Yeah, last week we had an NBA player on, so we had to follow it up with the, uh, the best possible guest we could get to follow up an NBA player, in our opinion. He's our first ever guest on the podcast. Our first ever three-time guest, too. Is that right, David? It is. Yep. Shouts is. to that man. <laughs> I'm not going to give him the full clap and baby. I've already introduced him plenty, but uh, I will say that he's gotten a lot more play in the radio lately, which is great. Kevin, I saw they're calling you the uh, the guru now over there. I it's it's a lot. They just like tell me what they want to like. They're like, do you call? Because they have to. The producers have to like label the segments. So it's like guru insider. What do you want? And I was like, okay, well, insider makes it sound like I have sources, and I definitely don't. I don't want to have sources. So I guess guru works better. Um, the producer of Bickley Murata, Jared Carlin, just wants to call me Big Daddy Olson and will not drop it. He just calls me BDO every time I walk around the office, and I just shake my head at him. So the more I hate it, the more he pushes it, and it's it's weird. But yeah, guru, I guess. Yeah, it's been fun to be on the radio though. Hi, hi, everyone. Hey, how we doing? Three times. <laughs> that advice for uh, that's advice for everyone out there. If you hate a nickname, just lean into it because the more you resist, the more they'll call you it. I can't lean into <laughs> Big Daddy Olson. Call yourself Big Daddy Olson, and they'll stop. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. So we're going to talk about Devin Booker today. This is the start of our positional preview series we did this last summer people liked it so we're doing it again we're going to go through each position on the sun's roster point guard shooting guard small forward power forward and center uh we're doing shooting guard today which is basically devin booker and we'll talk about what else they might have there which is a uh, spoiler alert not very much uh but before <laughs> we get there david do you want to give us what little recap there could possibly be given that we're in the dead of the offseason Unless we count the Suns signing David Kramer, who we were just talking about before we jumped on and recorded, there is not much news to talk about this week at all, Max. So uh, he is a shooting guard, though, so it at least fits with the uh, theme of this week's show. But instead of talking any more about him, I just thought I'd double down on what you said. We're, we're going to be doing probably five of these in a row, position by position, and uh, cover the the big questions that we see with each of the positions and also like today's episode probably get into a little bit of where these guys rank with their peers in the NBA as well which I have seen and tried to avoid the most I can on Twitter has definitely been another subject when it comes to Devin Booker this week Max yes it has uh, I, I jumped in on it I still enjoy the Booker Mitchell stuff in fact uh, I have quite a few stats to drop throughout this podcast on comparisons between Mr. Booker and his peers, including 
Donovan Mitchell, but let's start. Kel. Ooh, Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> You're making up for your Luca love yeah, one day at a time. <laughs> so let's start with your high level assessment, Kellen. Where are you on Mr. Devin Booker? What did you see from the last season? How are you feeling on him just generally? Uh, I feel really good. Uh, I have to start with the asterisk and kind of just brief aside that I am fully um, locked in on him potentially being injury prone. I am not ignoring it. We'll get to that, Kellen. We'll get to that. Yeah, tossing it to the side, but I just always have to mention it when people ask me about him because there are national people who ask me about him, and I'm like, yeah, he gets hurt all the time. I'm like, really? Because it's, it's, again, people don't pay attention to the Suns. I was like, oh, yeah, like he picks up these little things. Everyone listening knows by now. Uh, I think he's one of the best guards in the league. I don't have to put offensive in front of it because he's so offensively dominant that I just think he's one of the best guards in the league. Now is he one of the best? Eight guards, 12 guards, 16 guards, I, I don't know. But I know that he's just one of the best scorers in basketball, and he's one of the best guards in basketball. Um, I have been one of the big ringleaders in terms of his um, defense, not really really looking at it aside. And me and David kind of talked about this on Twitter, and I'm sure we'll talk about it on here, that this is a huge year for him in terms of the people like me and, and like all three of us who – are really, really high on him, and he's going to need to prove his worth now because he's surrounded by legitimate players now. And there are there still are excuses because it's not like this is an all-star lineup by any means, but the excuses for the most part of him having trash teammates are pretty much out the window. So it's a really, it's a really fascinating season, and I think that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most this year is just seeing how he – can he stay at that super high level he was at when some people feel like he was stat padding, which he obviously wasn't, but some people feel like he was stat padding. Can he be that caliber of a player on a 29, 30 win team, 10, 11 wins higher? I think he can be, uh, but we're, we're going to find out this year, which I'm really excited about. David, any comments on that? I want to get to Booker's health thing in a second here after, after you go in on what Kellen just said, but do you have anything to add? Well, I'll, I'll set that up for you because I know we've had Monty throw in the Brandon Roy comp, comp around for Booker in his off-season press conferences, which I just love because I think it's a it's a pretty bang on one. In my uh, short writing career for Brightside, I uh, touched on that a little bit with Harden and, and Brandon probably being the two closest top end outcomes to Devin Booker. Um, Brandon Roy. Not many people maybe listening will have seen him in his prior because it was so short, but uh, probably a great segue to jump into the health stuff because obviously he was cut down after having a you know 23, 5 and 5, maybe back-to-back seasons uh, on a much better team, I should say, which ties into Callan's point before about Booker not really having excuses going forward. There are obviously a few things with this roster that could still go wrong and make it a pretty bad NBA roster, but all going well. I think he's going to have teammates to the point where uh, we're not going to be able to lean on some of those excuses that we did last year. And as Callan said, we discussed it before. This is a huge season coming up for him, Max. No, it absolutely is. And I think you guys uh, hit the nail on the head when it comes to his bad supporting cast. If you look at, so this is my first stats I drop here. So cleaning the glass, excludes uh, garbage time stats and ranks percentiles of guys uh, among their position groups. So these are combo guards, uh, yep. Booker Mitchell, Jamal Murray, and D'Angelo Russell. Just look at the on-off stuff. It's so obvious how much Booker is better than the rest of his teammates, I guess is the way I'd put it. Uh, his overall <laughs> differential difference is 88th percentile. That includes defense and offense, just 88th in terms of making his team better when he's on the floor. 
uh, on points per possession, that's 96th in the league. Uh, free throw rate, 84. So basically, there are a few guards in the league who make their team better uh, more than Devin Booker does. And the part of that is he has worse teammates, but that just shows you kind of where he's at offensively. 89th in the league in points per attempt himself. Foul drawing is where he's especially amazing. 98th in terms of drawing non-shooting fouls. 98th percentile. 91st in terms of how many times he gets fouled on shot attempts. So the dude's just an efficient offensive machine. And I think when he gets better teammates around him, it should make him arguably even more efficient. The on-off will probably go down, but the rest will uh, improve. Uh, Kellen, I want to direct this to you to start with, the health things. I thought this was fascinating. I went back and looked at every single guard who was 20 years old or younger and drafted into the NBA in the top 10 since 2010. And then I also added Booker in there. He obviously wasn't uh, top 10, but he's a top 10 talent, so we'll, we'll put him there. Uh, there's 13 of them. Do you want to guess where Booker ranked in terms of the amount of games played in his first four seasons? You said 13 guys? 13 total guys. Where did Booker rank most games played? Um... I'm going to say 10th. David, any guess? I think it might be much higher than that because, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a tough question, definitely. He obviously didn't play early on in his rookie season, but he's played quite a bit in terms of total minutes, but obviously missed a fair bit of time with injury. So, yeah, I'm not sure which side I sit on this. It's obviously a little bit of a trick question, I'm guessing here, Max. So put us out of our misery. Just a little bit. Yeah, he's fifth, tied for fifth. Okay. Uh, he's played the same amount of games as D'Angelo Russell. He's played more than John Wall, Marcus Smart, Kyrie Irving, and Bradley Beal did. Mm. Uh, he also played more than Rivers, Moody, and Exum, which is why this is kind of cheating a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and the guys who are above him are like KCP, Peyton, Ben Lacamoire, Brandon Knight. So actually not that great of guys above him. But my point here is kind of like, yes, Booker has shown uh, some injury proneness. And some of his injuries, I mean, you know, arguably have been knickknack stuff, things that are maybe more injury prone stuff. But my, my, my greater point here, I guess I want to point out, is that guys come into the league sometimes underdeveloped. Their bodies aren't ready yet. And I think that it's a little premature to label him as injury prone. I think if he gets into better conditioning, you know, he pokes up, gets into what he described as his man body, it may go away to an extent. Kellen, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I agree. Um, I have always – I found – I can't remember who I got into a Twitter argument with about this like three or four years ago. But I've always had a stance I didn't realize was a stance that when guys just continue to get hurt for me, I just call them injury prone. I don't think it mm -hmm. matters how lucky or unlucky the injuries are, like mm -hmm. how you got your hand injury or how you stubbed your toe while you were leaving after getting a massage <laughs> from the team or whatever that injury was in L.A. Um I just think guys get hurt. Uh, if they get hurt a lot, they just they're injury prone, and that's what it is. And that's that's a, a hot take for some. I just have him in that camp until he can stay healthy for mostly an entire season. And I was not surprised to hear where he ranked actually in that games played because I've I've been the one to kind of go back and chart the games played, and it's like he's only missing one or two or three games for most of these injuries, and he's only had one actual significant injury which was the hand one which people forget by the way was a lingering thing the season before yes. you know, yep. the yep. season before we had reports that I got confirmed in in like January of that season that he it, it was something in a game and then he re-aggravated it in practice in like late January early February and then it was just this lingering thing uh, that kept lingering and then he re-aggravated in practice and then it just wasn't going away, and that's when they shut him down, and then he comes back, and then 
he gets the surgery really late. So that was kind of fluky as well. Um, so I, I agree with that. I just think that I need to see him play like 78 games in a season. You know what I mean? I need to see him play 40 straight games, which was – it was encouraging to see him at the end of last season um, have that run of like elite play for like three or four weeks considering the load that he has on. So I'm definitely not panicking or anything, but it's just – it's gone beyond a trend and and more towards something where I am absolutely paying attention to it. And every time he gets hurt now – I will be like, here's another one. We're going to add it to the list of all these injuries. And that's that's probably what you're getting at, Max, is that when when I actually go out and like list the 16 injuries he's had in the past two years or whatever, it looks a lot worse than it actually is, right? Is that kind of what you're mm-hmm. saying? Yeah, well, I think it's part of that. And the other part, I think this is just not a Booker-specific problem. I think that when you're a young, very young guard, you come to the NBA and you're smaller than everybody else and you're not used to playing 82 games, it's, it's a lot to put on a body something like that, especially someone, as you pointed out, with Booker's load. So I, I, just think, I think that's a big part of it. I, I think that it just happens to kind of – even I, I excluded some guys who, you know, were older who came in, but even Seth Curry, Kimball Walker had about the same amount of games played as Booker their first four mm-hmm. years. Guys just they, – they come into the league and they're not quite ready yet for some reason, whatever reason. It just happened to guards more than anybody else. And I think that because we watch Booker so much every single day and because our entire team depends on him, and when he's out, our entire life is terrible because we have to watch the Suns without Booker, we tend to really <laughs> emphasize the time when he's out. And it really sticks in our mind. But I'm just not sure that he's out as much relative to other players as we tend to think. David, do you have any thought on that? Yeah, I think it's really interesting. Obviously, you want to avoid the Brandon Roy type big injuries. And obviously, right. a lot of these niggles you know, time after time gets pretty frustrating because he, you know, can't develop form and and match fitness, as we would say in Australia. But, you know, it, it's interesting with the Brandon Roy stuff. You you want to avoid that, as I said, but you also, as Kellen is rightly saying, if he keeps picking up these injuries, no matter how much luck or anything is involved or it's soft tissue, you need to start worrying about it. And I think that's what makes it really even more so important this offseason that they've finally made moves. You know, they're we're going to get into this later. They're still a little, you know, thin at the shooting guard position, but he is the franchise guy. But they've made moves to hopefully lessen his usage a little bit, lessen the load on him. Because if, you know, what you're saying is true with young guys coming into the league being a little bit of a problem, and then you're also lumping this huge usage on top of them, then, you know, that is a concern going forward. But just touching on the health and I guess the free throw stuff that you mentioned before, Max, interesting question. Do you, can we say that kind of that post all-star, you know, run that he went through guys was kind of where he was his most healthiest last season? Oh yeah, for sure. This was, it was the biggest storyline of the season was his health because God, I want to say it was a game against Oklahoma city where he finally after, cause remember he, <clears throat> So he has a he plays in Dallas and like he's still coming back from the hand thing in the opening game, but he still plays amazing because he actually has working hamstrings. And mm-hmm. then it's like third or fourth game of the year he gets hurt against the Lakers. I think it's that that's the third game of the year. Comes back on the road against the Lakers, reaggravates it, sits out like six or seven games, and like he's saying he's going to take his time now. But when he came back, it was still clear that he was at 80 percent and like that real explosion that he has. He doesn't get credit enough for how explosive he is because he's not necessarily a guy who's going to dunk on guys or blow past people, but he's really great with his feet. And he just didn't have that for like a month and a half. And then I remember the OKC game, he finally – I think it's because they won. He was in a good mood. He finally said, yeah, I haven't been 100% all year and it's since the opener or since the first hamstring injury, whatever he said. So then he finally – 
said um, after one of those games that he had uh, during that run of the post all-star break, this is the healthiest I've been all season. It was like late January. And then like, again, in like March, he said the same kind of thing. So he was, he was absolutely playing at less than a hundred percent for pretty much the entire first half of the season. And so that makes it even crazier to me. And, and I think one of the themes of the conversation for me, at least about him is going to be talking about not only did his teammates suck, his team sucked, but he, he wasn't healthy. He wasn't hitting threes. There were like, there were all these things that went wrong during his season and he still managed to be an absolute freak. Um, mm-hmm. And, and the health is the biggest one for me where the 50 point thing was really funny. That was the biggest, uh, maybe the biggest thing for him in his career so far, in my opinion, where it's been a national local optics thing where people zooming out national optic, just see it as this guy stat chasing on a really, really bad team. Whereas zooming in, the three of us are like, look at him. He's finally healthy and he's dropping 50 mm-hmm. bombs left and right. That was a really exciting point. And, and yeah, like I said, I think that's been the whole thing for me about his season is that all these things went wrong for him and he still nearly averaged 27, five and seven on good efficiency, which is, insane he's 22 what was incredible about that stretch too where i think he had was 59 50 then 48 or 49 or something like that yeah uh he did it incredibly efficiently it's not like this was stat pad theater he had like i think he was i think over the stretch it was like 70 plus percent true shooting it was ridiculous and utah was not like letting it let him go easy because they were up they were doing everything they possibly could to stop him and it was just impossible I hesitate to like you know throw out too many platitudes but i'm not sure there are many better scores than him outside of like kevin durant Kyrie Irving in the league right now. He's, I think he's probably a top five scorer right now. I think he's that good. I, I seriously think that. Uh, and another thing that's crazy, the you mentioned the the health problems. He definitely had the health problems. His like rim percentages are significantly better all season than Jamal Murray, uh, D'Angelo Russell, and Donovan Mitchell's were. So even though he was hampered and unable to you know explode the way he could, uh, you know when he's healthy for a lot of the season, he's still sixty six percent at the rim. The dude is just really, really good at scoring, I think is what we're learning. And and then you also brought this up briefly is, is the passing. He, you know, D'Angelo Russell's assist numbers are better than his are, but no, the other guys aren't, not even close, especially Donald Mitchell's are, are far, far lower than his. And mm-hmm. I wonder, what do you think, David? I'll, I'll throw this to you. Why do you think Booker doesn't get the credit for his improved playmaking? Is it, is it just because of the win thing? Is it because his teammates are bad that, you know, the Suns are just irrelevant? Because, I mean, I think most players who are averaging seven assists who are 22 years old, if they were point guards coming into the league, would be considered promising young point guards. Whereas yeah. even Suns fans are like, no, Devin Booker, he can't play point guard. Yeah, you know, I opted out of the kind of comparing him debates long ago because I think it does just come back to the Suns need to start winning games before people will pay attention. You know, it's lazy, but people just fall back on the Suns sucking and it being empty numbers. And it's just impossible sometimes to have these conversations realistically about a a guy like Devin Booker because as you say if it was a a young point guard even on a bad team that was averaging you know over seven assists a game we would be talking about him so much more but just quickly going back to the health point Max looked at the pre and post all-star stuff with Devin and it's really interesting field goal percentage 46 versus 48 so not much change there three percentage 32.5 to 32.8 so no change there assists 6.7 to 7 turnovers 3.9 to 4.7 so it went up a little bit his points obviously went up from 24.6 to 31 and that is probably pretty much on the back of the biggest jump which is 6.7 free throw attempts per game pre-all-star break 
and 9.3 after. Mm. And that's only, you know, if he did that for a season, it would only fall behind Harden, Embiid, and Giannis, who had more this season at the free throw line. So, you know, with a better team and health, I think we could actually see him lead the league at the free throw line next year. Um, you know, maybe contending with some of those guys. Harden might come down a little bit with Westbrook adding to the team and, and who knows what Embiid and Giannis do. And that's kind of where I love the the Brandon Roy comp because, you know, I promise I won't bring it up again after this, but, you know, he made a living getting to the line. It was a, a different league back then, but was kind of, you know, up there with the league getting, you know, around seven attempts a game at the free throw line. A lot of mid-range stuff, which is where I think the comp falls a lot more in line with Devin Booker than, say, someone like James Harden, who gets to the line a lot. And, you know, we can't discount as well, I should say, that Steve Blake joining this team was the point guard with Brandon Roy during that that time. So with Monty throwing it out there, I don't think it's any coincidence. And I think they've got a team and a coaching staff that are going to look to build that way around Devin Booker. And yeah, I just wanted to flag. That's why I thought the health conversation was really important because he is going to live at the line, shot around 90% at the line. And that's what makes you an ultra efficient shooting guard in this league. And probably what puts him above the guys that you mentioned at the top there, Max, Murray, Mitchell, and Russell, both getting to the line and finishing at the line, he's going to be so much more proficient than those guys. Yeah, and one thing that I want to add before we move to Kellen here to finish up, uh, and, and Chris Hansen will be mad at us for not already mentioning this, but Devin Booker <laughs> didn't shoot well from three last year, like at all. No. Quite bad. And, and my, my take on that, I think it's actually related to the injury thing. I think it's really a strength and conditioning thing because I know the guy can shoot. But it's a lot more difficult to shoot off the dribble 27 footers when, you know, you're dinged up or you're just tired and your stamina is not there. Uh, We see the guy in the three-point contest. We know the guy can shoot the ball. It's more about maintaining the consistency of his form throughout the whole game when he's carrying a large load. And hopefully with a less of a large load uh, this season, uh, we'll see him improve his three-point shooting. Kellen, uh, anything to finish up on that? Or do you want to uh, lead us into the bad things about Booker's game? Uh, no, <clears throat> or sorry. Yes, there is something I want to I want to add before we go on. Um, it, just a brief aside. I haven't really had a place to say this. I think it's a really good place to say this. Um, ever since the All Star break of not last season, but the season before that, so that would have been the 2018 All Star game. Mm-hmm. I have been personally like the fanboy in me who read Bill Simmons growing up mm-hmm. is just been really upset at him for not catching on to Booker's statistical anomaly thing with his age and everything and just looking at him through so many different lenses whether it's just the points and assists per game but the one thing that I was going to bring up was his two-point shooting his percentages from two and Mm -hmm. so last year he averaged 13 shots a game from two which is a lot and he shot 53.6 percent from two I looked up the best seasons uh, the past 10 seasons in the NBA looked up guys who took at least 13 twos a game and sorted them by two-point percentage. And Booker has the third best ever of those guys. So there were a total of 58 seasons in the past 10 years where guys guys took that many twos, and Booker's 53.6% was the third best. And here's the thing that really stood out to me. Six of those, or sorry, five of those top eight in percentages, they're Dwayne Wade's. It was basically D. Wade's prime in Miami, and this is actually what – he was the best at in his career because I actually like dug a bit deeper for this and looked in at guys who averaged at least 12 two-point attempts per game. And if you're wondering, Booker in his career is averaging 11.5. He's going to get there with the volume he's going to put up. So guys in their career 
to average at least 12 field goal attempts per game. Guys who have done it that are around this decade, uh, Dwayne Wade is the top number. He's at 50.2%. They have Ben Simmons here, but like I don't really count him as a guard. Um, Kyrie Irving is there at 49.8%. Derek Rose is there at 48.1%. And then you go to DeMar DeRozan at 47%. Russell Westbrook at 46.5%. But that's it. That's that's it. Those are the top five guys from, since 2000 in terms of guards, high-scoring guards who are efficient from two. And right now, Booker for his career is at 47.7, which would put him third amongst those guys. And he just put up 53.6, which is just absolutely insane. Like if he would have just shot league average on three, his efficiency would have been absolutely off the charts. And that's the one thing I'm watching for the most in terms of like, I guess, transitioning into what could go wrong. I just think that was a that was an anomaly and his number is going to go down. There's just no way for him to hold that. But I'm saying if he does, you're looking at the best scoring two guard ever in terms of efficiency from that range, which was which was Dwayne Wade, because we're just talking about different eras. Now you have to go back to guys in like the 60s, 70s and 80s guys from like the past 20 years. It's really only Dwayne Wade on that level. And, and that's what I'm saying. It's like we. We can do the uh, basketball reference last 50 years. He's this old and this many points per game or whatever. But in terms of efficiency from two, if he can somewhat replicate what he did last year and even be like two to three percent worse, it's still some of the best efficiency we've seen from that range in the past 10 years. So it's it's that historic and that next level. And that's the part of his game on top of everything else where the improvement that he made last year that I just don't even acknowledge Donovan Mitchell or Jamal Murray or D'Angelo Russell existing. I'm sorry. I'm not going to even indulge on the conversation. I don't even want to talk about them. They don't deserve to be talked about with him. And that's going to be a really hot take for people who want to point at wins or whatever. But I just really think he's that great, mainly because of what I just said. Because, again, this is something that he improved on, and he has improved on something tremendously every single season. And last year was his efficiency from there, which, like I just said, was crazy. It's insane. And we yeah. know how much he loves Dwayne Wade and, and was spotted <laughs> at his camp this week, I believe it was. So, you know, that just makes me think of two things, Max. I know I said I wouldn't bring up his name again, but two prime years for Brandon Roy, he was above 50% from two <laughs> two-point range. So, you know, there, there's another guy probably didn't have the longevity of some of the guys that Callum was talking about, but that was certainly how he got his buckets in the NBA as well. And it also just makes me think of a, something I pointed out uh, maybe last week, earlier this week, in relation to Cam Johnson, uh, but more looking through the Booker lens. It's just absolutely crazy the player that Booker has become versus the one that we scouted as a you know spot-up shooter sixth man from Kentucky. And it, like it's literally, hopefully he can get back to being a bit more of a three-point marksman. But as Callan's saying, he's, he's getting his uh, buckets you know in completely different ways to what we probably expected when the Suns drafted him at number 13. Two things. First of all, I think it's great and honestly a little bit cute that now you you and Monty have made up like you're citing his guy over and over as comparison. I'm glad you're not harboring resentment over the I was never mad at Monty. I was <laughs> never mad at Monty, Max. <laughs> uh, but no, I, that breakdown was fantastic, Kellen and David. I, I think the key point here for us before we get into the negatives, of which there are some and we need to talk about them, is that yep. Devin Booker is – he's not just like a good offensive guard prospect – He's one of the best 22-year-old guard prospects in NBA history in terms of scoring, I, I, easily. I, I think that there's a chance, I'm not saying he's going to reach this, but there's a chance he'll be the most efficient, high-volume scorer guy ever. Uh, he, he could be more efficient than James Harden because James Harden doesn't have quite the two-point range crap that he has. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so we'll see. I'm not saying it's going to happen. It probably won't. In fact, it's low. It's low probability. But Booker has that in his tool bag, and that's why Suns fans are so in love with the guy because he is absolutely incredible at scoring basketballs. Yeah, I mean, he. We can. I'll, I'll say it. Like he, if he continues to improve at the rate, and, and I'm going to go back to this point that yes, the numbers right now, whatever. But the way at which he's improved every single season, mm-hmm. and the way the numbers are going up, if he keeps his current pace, he's going to be the best scoring guard of all time, not named Michael. Like that's, yeah. that's the pace that he is on. He's on pace to become the second greatest shooting guard of all time. That's Absolutely. The pace. That's the pace that he's on, at least statistically. Now, of course, like that's – can you imagine getting into a point with Booker where we have to debate how many championships he has? Like he, he obviously <laughs> has a really, 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 really long way to go before we even get to those types of conversations. But just statistically, that's the trajectory he's on right now. I hope before that debate we can, uh, you know, just say I told you so a lot to to people on Twitter and, and out there online because, you know, I, I predict, you know, maybe it's next season. Hopefully it is for us people who watch some 82 games a year. There's going to be a lot of guys running it back and, and making the next excuses for, you know, why they didn't count Devin Booker as the player that they count him now, now that he's shown them some things, things that we're all, you know, very aware that he's capable of doing already, Max. I can't wait to hear, oh, we could never have seen this coming. This is just a surprise. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Uh, let's start on his defense now, guys, real quickly. Before we get into what we uh, expect to see from next year, some predictions, let's talk about the uh, elephant in the room, which is that Devin Booker either can't or doesn't play defense, and, and we'll get into that in a second. But I'll, I'll go back to cleaning the glass. Again, these are percentile ranks among uh, combo guards. He is 27th percentile blocks, 25th steals. Uh, he carries a decent amount of fouls. He's like the 50th on that. Uh, in terms of the defensive points per possession, he's 26th when he's on the floor. Actually, funnily enough, he's 51st in defensive uh, efficient field goal percentage and uh, 51st is above Russell, Mitchell, and Murray. So that just kind of shows you the flaws in on-off stats sometimes. Whoa. But I think, I think the key here is that Devin Booker is not – he's at least not been a good defender or even a mediocre defender. He's been a quite bad defender so far. I guess the real question is how predictive is what he's done so far to what he's going to be, Kellen? Yeah, if you start rambling defensive metrics at me, I'm going to jump out of yeah, they're bad. and not regret it. I <laughs> hate them, and we're not even close. In the, the ones that I'll say, I, though, Kellen, like, the fact that he doesn't yeah. have blocks and seals, that's a real thing. Yeah, I really enjoyed that, um, and not saying this in a sarcastic way, I really enjoyed how 538 tried to do the defense thing. And then it evaluated Lonzo as like this future all-star because he clearly broke their system where (laughs) their system like projects the Pelicans to be really good. Not because of Zion actually, but because they project Lonzo as like this future all NBA player because somewhere in like their defensive metric, he just broke it. And it just shows (laughs) we are so far away. Like defensive rating and on off is like the closest we have. But even then it's like, that doesn't work with Kawhi. Kawhi is the best defender in the league. So it's a, it, we're really far away. Uh, I wrote a piece on ArizonaSports.com. I looked at a run in the late season, one of the stretches where they won five out of seven or four out of seven, whatever it was. I, it was four out of five. I watched him defensively in, at every second of those games. And he just has really the, the worst habit a guy can have defensively. And this sounds stupid and dumb, but because of the stupid and dumb is not moving. He, he does not. Mm-hmm. engage defensively to the point where he is not even like jogging or kind of shuffling his feet. He just stops moving a lot. 
And even in those games where they were close and competing and he clearly cared and clearly wanted to try on defense, there were still a handful of moments each game where I was like, you're, you're killing him here. And it's I, one of the clips I had in there is the one that's the most amusing to me because it's the one where probably he can't really do anything. But he went to go point and eight in bridges on a Warriors inbound. It was like, hey, guys, they do this. And then he looked back and Clay Thompson was sprinting away from him. Clay got to pull up three. And it's like, dude, like you just – Clay Thompson is your man. You cannot like not look at him. You need to keep your eye on him. I know the young guys are young, and he probably saw the set coming, and it was clearly an improvised move by Clay, and he was calling out something else. But that's just the type of thing where I watch him. And the thing that I picked up on in the piece too, um, David, you saw this too, was – it, when guys come to the rim and he's covering the weak side corner, he always bites in and defends the rim. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because he's used to not having rim protection or whatever. I'm not trying to take a shot at eight in there, but I mean, that's just been the reality of his career so far is that they haven't really had rim protection. So maybe he's used to just diving in on that and trying to help, but it was, it was instances where he was leaving good shooters and it's your, I, I think his first name's Duncan. I can't even remember the Robinson dude on Miami who went to Michigan. <laughs> But homeboy, homeboy Robinson is sitting in the corner because that's literally why he has an NBA contract. Do not leave him. This is so easy for you. You don't have to move. We're not asking you to move. And then he goes in and bites on some like Hassan Whiteside dump off and it results in an open three. And it's just it's way too many of those for me to feel okay about his defensive projection, even though, as everyone will tell you in their right, like when he when he gets there defensively and locks in on ball and He's starting to get kind of good at getting around screens. It's there's stuff there, but it's just the focus is is too concerning for me. But we'll see. Uh, better teammates, less of a load. Hopefully, maybe that'll help. Uh, I love Zach Lowe's take on his defense, which is, of course, I'm not expecting him to play defense. Look at what they're making him do on offense. Like I wouldn't <laughs> care on defense either, which is the best take on that because it's the the most true take. I must say that I pioneered that take, Kellen. Just saying. Beautiful. beautiful. I support it all the way around. We should get shirts. Uh, we should get shirts. Uh, David, I'm going to throw it to you because I think Kellen just summarized this perfectly, but I want to frame it before I throw it to you because I love this framing of NBA player defense that I've heard on Dunked On, but it's sourced somewhere else. So Suns fans, don't freak out. This is not a Dunked On original. Uh, <laughs> the idea is that there's three reasons why a player can't play or does uh, plays bad defense, we'll say. And the three reasons are either that he can't play defense that he won't play defense, or that he doesn't know how to play defense. So my question to you on Devin Booker is, what percentage of Devin Booker's bad defense is each of those? That he can't do it, that he won't do it, or that he doesn't know how to do it? I would place it pretty much 50-50 on the first two, Max. And Mm -hmm. I would say that because Devin Booker is far too smart of a player and sponge that I don't believe that that he doesn't know how to play defense. I think that... Uh, he can't do it because he probably hasn't for most of his career up to date and it hasn't been a focus of his training regimen. Uh, I also think he won't do it because of that offensive load and the teams that he's been on. It has, you know, in micro amounts been frustrating, particularly in competitive games when he's going off offensively that he still has those mind-numbing 
defensive plays because you would hope that even in short stints, they would be the little windows that you could look into and go, oh, look, when the game's on the line, he is really locked in. And, you know, unfortunately, there has been moments, just being completely honest, where that still doesn't come to the fore. But, yeah, I would put it pretty much 50-50 with the first two, Max. And, yeah, I'll double down on what you guys say. Defensive metrics don't tell a lot in these scenarios, particularly on on really bad teams. And I guess doubling down again on what Callan mentioned at the top and thing, things that we've discussed online together is it, it's just a huge season for Booker, this one in the grand scheme of things, because of, you know, he's going to be more heavily scrutinized, much better team. He's got Rubio next to him, which is going to hopefully help on both ends of the court and obviously ties in with him being an ex-teammate of Donovan Mitchell. A second year, Aiton, who we're going to have a whole nother podcast about, but, you know, hopefully an improved guy and probably worth noting the team is, you know, really leaning on him and a couple of other guys here and, and hopefully Booker at least locking in a little bit more. But yeah, hopefully with a, a lesser load on offense, he's at least willing to buy in. And I guess shout out quickly to the locked on guys who did a, a pod with Cody uh, Toppet, I believe it is, earlier this week, uh, just talking about Devin Booker's development and, and how much his uh, learning curve is, is quite small. And I think if you can get a good team around him and he starts focusing on defense, I think he can cut out a lot of those mind-numbing mistakes from his game because he's just too smart, Max. Yeah, absolutely. Kellen, you already broke down his defense, so you don't have to respond in length here, but just Quick breakdown, what do you think? Is it Are you good, David? Is it is it more the can't and won't, not the don't know how, or do you think there's a, a greater mix there, or what's your assessment? I'm going to add a fourth because okay. Dunk Don doesn't make the rules I do. Um, <laughs> the There's times where I watch him defensively, and he, more than any other year last year, would get upset at defensive mistakes by his teammates, and I wonder – mindset wise is he going to be able to get to because this is the whole argument with him and that's the the worst thing about the Devin Booker is he good things is we have yet to see there is an argument there for him not being bad but just not being as good as people think he is and I think the argument is when you watch him defensively especially and just yelling at his teammates and stuff it's like okay if you give him guys defensively who are going to do their jobs 95 times out of 100 down the floor and he's asked to do his part defensively and you give him teammates offensively who 80 times out of 100 or 60 times out of 100 are going to make the right play or make the right shot or whatever which is way less but you're operating towards defense there is he going to be this high level player right away who can get you to 45 or 50 wins and defensively it's it's that in that okay now that he has he's not going to be yelling at Ricky Rubio about defensive mistakes like that's not Ricky ain't gonna gonna have that like that's nope. that's not happening um but is he going to be able to lock in and realize oh I'm the one that's making the most mistakes because that's quite honestly probably what's going to happen it's going to be either him or DeAndre uh, it doesn't matter if it's Kelly or Mikel I mean Kelly's going to fall asleep four times back door but in terms of uh, in terms of who it is overall, it's either going to be him or DeAndre. And is he going to be able to, even when DeAndre's screwing up a lot, he's still going to be screwing up enough to the point where it's a part where Devin's mistakes could actually lose them games on defense if they're playing well enough, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and is he going to be able to, like I said, lock in and realize like, oh, these are my mistakes. I need to stop pointing at DeAndre when he messes up or Kelly when he gets beat back door and realize that if I just – 
lock in here about 30% more than I am right now, we can actually win this game. And that's, that's the great unknown for him defensively for me right now is because the finger pointing while completely justified just isn't exactly the right mentality you want to see for a guy who you really want to see improve on defense. If, if that mm-hmm. kind of makes sense. Yeah, I think that's frustration. And, uh, and I, I think you brought up the, the great point by Zach Lowe again. And I want to make, I want to make clear here that I'm not saying that Zach Lowe stole anything from me because that would never happen. Zach Lowe just happened. Zach Lowe makes like 7,000 great points per month. And I made one great point earlier than he did that he happened to also make because he makes a million great points. Um, but yeah, the key there is that Devin Booker, the hope is that once he once his mistakes are actually causing his team to lose, he'll start remedying those mistakes. There's really not a lot of incentive for him to care that much about his defensive mistakes when they are irrelevant to him, his stature in the league or anything, because they're going to lose anyway, and he's still going to get paid a max contract because he kicks ass on offense. The question is, once you know those defensive mistakes are the reason why his team wins or loses, is he going to address them? And then to answer my own question on the uh, doesn't know how, won't, or can't, uh, the key to me on the can't, I think can't's more about, uh, you know, is physically can't do it. I don't think there's a lot of that. I mean, I don't think he's the best lateral mover, but as Kellen pointed out earlier, and as uh, David and I have pointed out quite a few times in this podcast, he's an underrated athlete. His agility scores were awesome at the combine, the, the best yep. in his combine. Uh, so he definitely he has great feet. He can move. He, he has some of that. So there's he's not lost that in. He has real size. He doesn't have great wingspan, but he has you know he can. He's not somebody. He's not Isaiah Thomas. You're not going to just abuse him every single time in the playoffs. And we didn't see him in certain stretches of his career play decent defense. I remember Kellen getting uh, really excited over like a first uh, first and second quarter Kings game from like a year and a half ago. When Devin Booker's actually trying for like <laughs> 10 minutes. Buddy Heald got his ass locked up, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, it's happened once or twice, which makes you think that the answer can't be that he can't do it because we've seen him do it. So the question is, is it doesn't know how or or, or that he uh, or he won't do it? And I think there's definitely a lot of won't so far, as, as Dak Lowe's pointed out and as we've all seen. But there may be some don't know how there. It's hard to know because we haven't seen him in high leverage situations get you know proper defensive instruction. I think that's something that's going to become more clear here is, is, is Devin Booker just somebody who is not interested in playing defense or is he somebody who hasn't had the proper coaching to play NBA defense and will get there uh, with that in place. So let's go ahead and move on. We're, we're running a little long on Devin Booker here because we love him. Uh, Kellen, <laughs> last thing on Booker before we get to Did You Know and then we'll talk about the rest of the shooting guard position to the extent that's a thing. Uh, give us – basically like a short synopsis of each of these. What, what are the worst possible, medium possible, and best possible outcomes you see for Devin Booker in the uh, 2019-20 NBA season coming up? Oh, man, that's interesting. Um, I think one thing we should mention for his weaknesses that kind of goes under the radar mm-hmm. because, again, he's he's really good. Like, we whatever, dude, bad team, it's fine. Uh, the, the lazy, dumb lobs and turnovers that he has, he just has two of them a game. And those, again, on a 35-win team, cut that crap out. Um, and they're, they're going to go away, but I just wanted to mention that. You're right. Worst outcomes is that those turnovers are still there. <laughs> so I'll start there. Um, those turnovers are there. The three-point, I would say the worst outcome for him next season and trend going forward is that he's actually not a great three-point shooter because that is the um, the golden egg or whatever you want to call it for me is that if he's just this efficient from two and that good at getting to the line and all this stuff, just imagine when he's actually shooting 38, 39, 40%. I really yeah. like the statistical comparisons to Ray Allen's career because 
obviously Ray Allen, the best shooter of all time, or one of the three, he's not going to get there in terms of 40, 42% from three or whatever. But you look at when Ray Allen was really, really scoring in Milwaukee, his three-point percentages at the start of his career weren't that great. And then they started to rise with time. And, and I think that's something that could happen um, with him and I, and I want to see happen. But if he's a guy who shoots 34, 35% from three for the next two or three seasons, that's one of the worst possible outcomes um, for me. Um, I would say that and then just the two-point percentage. So if the two-point percentage goes from like 53 to 46 and then he's at 35 and three, now you're talking about an actual – not um, exactly what Twitter thinks he is, but you're you're close. You're a lot closer uh, in terms of his efficiency mm-hmm. and everything. Um, so I would say that's the worst outcome. Medium outcome is, I don't know. Actually, I want I want to pass to you guys. Are you expecting how he played last year? Because I'm honestly not. I think it's it's really he was so great last year. Um, I think he's going to improve and be better. But I think statistically, it's not going to look like that. Does, does that make sense? I just think he was so phenomenal last year that the points are going to be down a bit. The assists are going to be down a bit. The efficiency is going to be down a bit. I think he's going to be better overall. Um, maybe the scoring will be up, but I, I don't know. I'll, I'll defer to you guys for now. David, you take that one, and I'll, I'll finish up with the best outcome. Yeah, well, I, I would just jump straight ahead as far as medium outcomes go. If you know, Even if it is a dip in points per game but it's a you know also a decrease in turnovers as you mentioned Callan you know three point percentage coming back up to what we kind of expect from him and then better D as we were talking about and you know that will hopefully with the better teammate stuff result in more wins and statistically you might not be able to throw him into the same baskets that you can throw him now and and kind of spruik that he's in you know great company but as we said you know just previously with these debates is wins more than stats are probably going to back up the argument of Devin Booker being a legit star in the league so I'm really looking for those turnovers to come down while the usage stays around about the same. Obviously, Rubio is going to cut into that a little bit. But as you said, Callan, if if that three doesn't come back and you've just signed Rubio for three years, you know that becomes a, a little bit more of a problem. So I'm really going to be watching probably mostly the three-point percentage and the turnovers next year, Max, as far as medium outcomes go. Everything else I'm pretty confident in staying around about what we've already seen from Devin. Yeah, and I'll finish up with the best outcome and, and launch the hottest take of the podcast, possibly. Uh, <laughs> totally agree with what you guys identified as the areas of improvement, the turnovers, and the, and the three-pointers percentage. Uh, also agree with Kellen with the gold egg thing, and I think the gold egg is one half of what needs to happen for the best outcome. He, he needs to have that 53.6% two-point percentage to stay around that while also having the three-point go way the hell up and then also having the free throws of his – second half post-all-star break continues. Yeah. So if that happens, he's basically going to be a 30-plus point-per-game scorer on incredible efficiency. And if, if that's where he is and he doesn't take, like, a material setback as a passer and the turnovers come down a little bit, and then the second half is if his team is really, as we think it is, better. Uh, and I include in that not just the players they've added, but also DeAndre Ayton uh, taking the lead that he desperately needs to take if this team's ever going to be a, a real contender. If he, if he takes, you know, the improvement where he, I'm talking about Aiton now, is, a, you know, an, an adequate rim protector and continues up to become like a really good for a big perimeter defender, like he's actually like kind of a plus on defense and everybody else sort of improves and the free agents come up and, and Booker takes these leaps we're talking about. 
I think this team should be in the playoffs. And Ooh. this is the best outcome, obviously. But I think this team should easily be in the playoffs if Booker's that good and the supporting cast is around him is that level. And Aiton is, you know, not a travesty on defense. Because, I mean, at that point, I don't see why not. Because if Booker's there, he would be, you know, arguably top five offensive guard in the league, maybe even top three. He would be an MVP candidate, I'll say it. He would be an MVP candidate. Yeah, he would be an MVP, especially if the Suns were in the playoffs. There'd be a lot of narrative there to go from where they were. Yeah, narrative of, like, twice as many wins and so on. Yeah, if Aiden has has the jump that a number one overall pick in their second year has or slightly better than Mm -hmm. on average – and everyone else that's a role player, you get everything that's expected out of them. So you're 10 to 11 deep. Ricky Rubio's a, a top 12 point guard in the league. Dario Sarge is one of the 20 best power forwards and so on. Yeah, I, I actually see it. I don't think it's that hot of a take. I mean, it makes sense when you think through it. It's just crazy when you think about the fact they had 19 wins last year. But I think yeah. people need to realize the 19 win thing. Wow, yeah, it sucks to have 19 wins. Booker missed a lot of time. They started DeAnthony Melton, who I freaking love, but was a 46 overall pick rookie. They started Isaiah Cannon to start the year. Like, Jamal Crawford played a lot. Josh Jackson is the worst player in the league. Like, there are so many things that aren't on this team anymore that made them so bad last year. It's almost it's almost pointless to even compare them to uh, this current team. It's not a, a good comparison. David, I love they had an F, They had an F of an offseason, though. Don't forget that. <laughs> we don't need oh to get to that God. again. I already yelled about that enough. But, uh, David, it closes out. You're the voice of reason, so you can uh, comment on this and then take us straight into Did You Know. No, I think you're spot on. I think, you know, I was going to ask both of you how many wins it was going to take when you were going on that little spiel about, you know, Booker being a 30-point scorer while all these other things improve. But, yeah, I think you're right. It should equal, you know, at least a 500 record and a possible playoff berth. So I don't really have too much more to add on that other than to say uh, we should probably go into Did You Know, Max? Yeah, we should, and also uh, I'm looking forward to people uh, cutting this clip out when the Suns have 20 wins next year. uh, (laughs) Go ahead, David. So, Max, I was listening to our guest on Arizona Radio recently, and I thought I'd start Did You Know this week with a completely random fun fact about Kellen Olsen's dad. (laughs) Did you know, Max, that Olsen Sr. is apparently a big fan of the humble fruit, the apple, Max? I definitely did not know that, no. Callan, is there anything else you want to add to this little story? Yeah, hell yeah. My dad is the kindest soul in the world, and what he does is he walks around the offices at uh, his radio station, not ours. It's, it's a different one. And he walks around with a bag of apples like two, three times a week and just tosses them to people. Can you just imagine like walking Aww. into work and you like forget your <laughs> breakfast or you're like, like 11 a.m. snack or whatever, and this guy hucks you a green apple, and you're like, oh, my God, lifesaver. Your dad sounds Amazing. lovely, Kellen. He is the kindest person I've ever met in my life and will ever meet. And awesome. God, God bless him. Amazing, amazing. But back to the totally serious segment that we call Did You Know, Max? And this week's episode being shooting guard themed, I thought it would only be right to dig out an old son's shooting guard of the not-so-distant past. Can either of you tell me the 6'4 shooting guard who, like Devin Booker, was drafted from the University of Kentucky but not by the Suns. He spent the last four years of his career with Phoenix, ending in the year 2000. I don't know, Kellen. You got it? No, I should know, though. This kind of stuff, like, I hate my brain. I just, it sounds like I'm pulling out excuses, but 
It feels like I should have a track record for just knowing this stuff. I don't want to sound that. stupid, but is it Rex Chapman? It is none other than Rex Chapman. And okay. don't worry, Callan, Max can definitely sympathize with that feeling because I do it to him on a weekly <laughs> basis. But a 13-year pro who ended up on 666 games played with career wow. averages of 14.6 points, 2.5 rebounds, 2.7 assists, 43% from the field, and 35% from three. These days, Rex is, of course, probably known most for his weirdly divisive block or charge theme videos on Twitter. God damn so Max it. and Kellen. Weirdly divisive. Weirdly divisive is the perfect way to describe those. It really is, but Max and Kellen... I'm going to save the discussion, yes. I'm going to keep my question, but it is about those videos. We're going to talk about this. We need to have a discussion. Before that, are you ready for our own quick game of block or charge? Because I, of course, have to quiz you both on something in this segment. I'm going to make it easy for you, though. It's essentially true or false, so a 50-50% chance of block being true and charge being false. Max, I will start with you. Chapman's 42 points in game one of the Western Conference playoffs in 97 against Seattle was a career high for Chapman overall and remained that way until the end. Block or charge? Sorry, which one was true again? Block. <laughs> I'll go <with> block. <laughs> it was true. 39 was his next best career high and 33 was his next next best career high with the Suns. Okay, Callan, the nine threes Chapman made in that game I referenced with Max is a record for the most in a game by a Suns player ever. Block or charge? Charge. Quinn Richardson has that, yo, doesn't he? Yeah, right. it's, it's, it can be one or the other technically. It's a block I've put it in as, but Rex shares the record, as you said, with Channing Fry and Quinton Richardson, but he definitely sits by himself if you change it to in a playoffs game. So where he's actually only behind Clay and Dame in the history of the NBA in that category, I believe. But Max, speaking of nine threes, Chapman's next best threes in a game was only six, block or charge? Um, I'm going to go block again. It worked for me last time. That's a charge. Chapman no. hit nine one other time, and he maybe. Just as famous fashion, I believe it was in a season where the NBA 3 was a little closer, but the story is way more important than that. It was when Chapman was with Miami, and they were playing the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Chapman was starting against MJ, and Miami almost had to forfeit the game due to not having enough players. They made three trades prior to the deadline the day before, and one of the players made it over on a red eye to give them an eight-man team, which went on to beat the 72-10 and 10 Bulls 113-104. to 104, And Chapman ended with 39 points, 9 of 10 from 3, and 12 of 17 from the field overall. So, Callan, last one. Chapman is one of seven Phoenix Suns to compete in the slam dunk contest. Block or charge? Oh, man. Um, oh, God. First of all, MJ didn't sleep for like four days after that loss. I guarantee he's up for like five days straight. He's like 39 from Rex bleeping Chapman. Um, oh, man. I I am going to say charge, but I have memories of him in the dunk contest. Was he in like a – was he in it for Phoenix? I'm going to say charge because I think I would have remembered 
him you've, being on Phoenix. You've nailed it on the head. He did compete twice, but both for the Charlotte Hornets, where he came sixth and third to eventual winners who were no scrubs. Dominic Wilkins in 1990 and Sean Kemp in 1991. But guys, the Suns do only have seven participants in the slam dunk contest. That was part, that part was true and only two winners. I'll open it up to both of you to see how many you can rattle off. How many of the seven can you name and which ones of those sevens took out the whole thing? Uh, Nance won. Amari Sotomar did not win. He got second or did he win? He lost twice and Nance won one and lost another in 85. So that's two of the seven. So Ballas won the other one with a blindfold, right? Yep. And then lost the year after in 93. So that's the two winners and three of the seven. Did they ever put Tom Chambers in? Because he deserved it. They didn't. Mm. Oh, wasn't Jay Rich in one year? Like when he was when he was um, washed? No? Jay Rich was in early for sure. He won one early. He beat, he, he beat Stoudemire in 2003, but not as a member of the Phoenix Suns. I thought he had like one of those like I'm back kind of slam dunks and then it turns out he didn't have it anymore. Uh, <laughs> uh, Did Dumas ever make it in before he had retired into drug-related issues? No. Hmm. Oh, it's it's a guard, right? I'm thinking of KJ for some reason. It's not KJ. They had a small, they had a smaller guard in it. I remember, right? I'll um, rattle them off for you. So there's yeah, Tim Perry lost to Kenny Skywalker in '89. Kenny yeah. Battle came last in Chapman's first <laughs> comp in 1990. Mike Finley lost to Brent Barry in 1996. Oh, I know that one. Yeah. And one that you both should have got, and the last one is Derek Jones Jr. came second <laughs> in. Oh, yeah! Possibly oh, the God. worst dunk contest ever in 2017, oh, where Glenn Robinson, the third shift, one. I wrote our story and everything, and it is completely out of my brain. I did not <laughs> remember that at all. Now, Max, I know I passed it off at the top as a totally casual and random fun fact about Kellen's dad, but you should know by now that I love to tie everything back together at the end of the segment. So mm-hmm. can you tell me what this week's guest topic in Rex Chapman and this week's guest father might have in common? <laughs> I can't. Let me know. It is, of course, their love for apples. Unlike <laughs> Callan's dad, Rex prefers the digital kind because in 2014, he was arrested for stealing over $14,000 in merchandise from an Apple store in Scottsdale, Arizona. But don't worry, he paid the money back and did a bunch of community service. So we can end the segment there on a positive note, Max. And we have a few other non-Booker shooting guard things to discuss now. Yeah, I guess if your idea of a positive note is a former Suns player having to steal a bunch of computer equipment for some reason, <laughs> then yes, that's how we'll end it. Uh, yeah, we're going to go on to, so like I said, we're doing a, a positional preview series like we did last summer. Uh, the shooting guard is a particularly interesting one uh, for us because it's really one of them. So I guess the other question is going to be, you know, who else is going to play this? I guess, Ty, or, sorry, Tyler Johnson not Ty Jerome, is going to be – he is a shooting guard, but he's kind of the backup point guard. So, Kellen, who do you see when Booker comes off the court as being the primary backup shooting guard if that person even exists? Oh, man. If he even exists is a really good um, place to take it because I was probably about to ramble for three minutes and be like, he's probably not <laughs> on the roster, right? <laughs> um, I think it's still Johnson, but – 
who it's almost like Johnson has to be the point guard, right? He has to be back up point guard. Yeah, we're gonna talk about Ty Jerome eventually. Um, but I just don't see how you can trust Jerome to be your point guard right away, even if he is this seasoned rookie from Virginia. They run the clock down, they play possession, they move the ball, he can shoot, he can pass, he can read pick and roll. One outstanding player. Um <laughs> <laughs> In case I'm, you didn't I'm, know, I'm, listeners, Kellen Olsen hates Ty Jerome. Go on. I'm Kevin. kidding, by the way. I don't. I actually like Ty Jerome. I just compl- that trade just blows my mind. I'm so. Wait, hold on. Well, let's go back. Let's go to that. I actually think it's more interesting than what we're talking about. Why do you not like that trade? Okay, the entire reason I don't like that trade is because I do not understand the point of getting Ty Jerome or getting Aaron Baines. I don't get it, <laughs> and I don't understand giving up an asset to do it that you could have used to get rid of Josh Jackson when you knew on that date you had to get rid of Josh Jackson. Oh, wait. No, you didn't. If you wouldn't have added that $7 million to your cap in the first place with Aaron Baines and Ty Jerome. Now, they would have added a a center somewhere in there. Maybe they should have used that room exception, David, not on Frank Kaminsky. And on a center instead, <laughs> just a thought, just a little hindsight. Twenty twenty. Frank Kaminsky is a center. Frank Kaminsky <laughs> is a center. Well, you, you should can not I have say me that, on Kellen, Yeah, go ahead. One, one thing there on the Aaron Baines thing, and you could disagree with them if you want. I do think they really wanted Aaron Baines in particular. They, it wasn't just random backup center X they were looking for. They were looking for, you know, championship experience, uh, international badass play practice asshole guy experience to play with Aiton. I think that is what James Jones wanted. That seems to be the ideal behind the trade, which you can disagree with if you want. That's fine. I I, I think in terms of the Josh Jackson thing, I've made this point a couple of times, but they could have just stretched him. So you can blame them for not understanding what the stretch provision is or valuing $2 million of cap space this year and the next two years on their cap is being important, which it really probably isn't over the other things. And that's all fine to me. My, my question is really just why do you think the value is bad on that Ty Jerome trade? Because I think that the 24th pick in this draft is probably pretty clearly better than the Milwaukee pick, just as a pure asset. I think it's just not needing to do the trade at all is what I'm saying. I just find it unnecessary. I, I find Baines to be kind of unnecessary. Uh, I just think if you take Kaminsky out, you use the room exception on a backup center, like someone like Rashawn Holmes, for example, who knows if he would have come back, but he got paid that money. And you could have given him that money, not paid Frank Kaminsky. You could have just um, found someone else, really, for on the minimum, really. And you could have even used that room exception on someone other than Kaminsky and brought in someone for the veterans minimum. We saw guys getting underpaid backup centers all over the place that were getting paid the minimum. So to me, the value of Aaron Baines, I agree, actually. I think that the way that that trade came about was Aaron Baines, and they were discussing Aaron Baines, and the Suns just wanted more value. And they and they got that pick, and the timing just worked out, and they got Ty Jerome. Um, but but I think the whole thing adds up to that Baines better be what he's supposed to be for the season, which I think he will be. But also that Jerome, just because of the the handcuffing that they did by acquiring him, it you you need something from him to a certain extent, and that's that's kind of where I keep coming back to is that just the whole asset mismanagement. Um, chain of events just starts there and it didn't need to start there if that if that makes sense I'm not even talking about like TJ or anything like that does does that make sense yeah no I I think it does I think my my issue with it is I I agree you know if you look at the entire summer in uh, as a whole 
you can blame this trade, say it's a asset mismanagement. But I think if you just look at this trade in isolation, there's really it's really hard to argue that it was bad asset management because they traded a worse pick asset for a better pick asset and picked up a guy on a contract who is pretty universally regarded as a good value. He what is he, 5.6 million for one year. Like that, yeah. That's fine for Aaron Baines. So value-wise, if you're just looking at that outside of anything with the Suns or anything else, it's it's a good value, I think. But if you if you yeah, if you if you're gonna attribute the Josh Jackson nonsense to that, I, I totally understand why you wouldn't like it. But I think that's where I where I take issue. I think that trade on its own was a good move. Okay, cool. Yep. It's just a disagreement there. Like I can't I can't look at it on its own. My my head will explode if I do that. Can't do it. Okay. Um but uh, yeah, I don't know who plays two guard, dude. Because I <laughs> Ty Jerome at point for everything that he does well, and this is where I'm going to be serious and not be an asshole and like try and mock myself, is that with everything that he does well, handing him the backup offense without Booker or Rubio on the court, which is essentially what you would kind of be doing if you played Jerome and Johnson together, is still worrisome because he's a rookie at the end of the day. So that leads me to believe that Johnson is going to be the backup point guard, but then I wonder who is going to play at two guard and that's where I actually lean Cam Johnson. I actually think that's where his minutes will come to start, and I think he'll actually get a, a little smidge of those while they'll rotate in Bridges and Ubre. I think what, Max, what was the rotation thing that you suggested, where it was like pulling one of Bridges and Ubre soon, and then having what was it exactly? So yeah, I think I agree with everybody that Ubre has to start. Like they're going to start him almost definitely. And I think the way to fix the athleticism issues on the bench that everyone's pointed out, if Ubre's not there, is to have Ubre there. So what you do is you, you their, your first sub with nine to eight minutes left is you put in Mikel for Ubre, so you can bring Ubre back in when you take out Booker and you take out Rubio. So basically, you get to have. Tyler on the floor with, you know, you got Cam Johnson there, Tyler, whoever, but you always have Uber there with them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's pretty much how I envision it's something like that. And like Cam gets minutes in there in some sort of way. I'm just going to get used to calling them Cam and Tyler. It's just, it's just, I'm just going to have to get used to it all for writing. It's a nightmare, dude. You just have to type out their full names. It's the worst. Um, but I, I don't know. That's how I see it. David, are you, camp ty jerome getting that's the thing is is ty is tyler johnson existing is where it makes it harder for ty jerome to play because ideally ty jerome would be playing the tyler johnson style of minutes where he's playing some combo playing some one but i don't see them playing together yeah i've been pretty strong on this i don't think ty jerome or cam johnson are going to be in the rotation to start the season and that's just kind of the way i look at it i look at it like who are the the eight best guys on this team right now and it's rubio booker ayton kelly sarich mikhail tyler and aaron baines so there's your eight-man rotation so i'm not sure how much it really matters who we call the backup shooting guard in this scenario if i'm answering max's question i think it's mikhail bridges i think that's how they get him up to around the 30 32 minutes that he has to play a night, in my opinion. And I think Jerome and Johnson are going to play when they prove that they're ready to play and they push someone out of that eight-man rotation or we have injuries and stuff. And I think that's really, you know, and I could be totally wrong on this, but I I don't want to look too much into taking Cam Johnson where they did and trading for Ty Jerome. I just think he's built out a 1-15 to roster that's more flexible and that can move around and he can actually maybe rely on 
on his rookies if we get into a situation like DeAnthony Melton last year, for instance, who did a, a great job in a really hard role, I think, that he was thrown into. So if they need to count on Jerome or Johnson to play backup minutes, I think they're going to be capable of doing so. But all going well, at least with the roster looking the way it is currently, I actually think Mikael Bridges is the backup shooting guard on this team, Max. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And I'll just I'll, – I'll sort of agree with both of you to an extent. So I think Cam and Ty Jerome won't play if they're not ready to play. But I think the reason why they were selected is in large part because the Thunder are hoping they'll be ready to play. The, the entire point, as we've said, you know, ad infinite, we've said this a billion times, the whole point of this offseason was to get guys who can actually play around Booker Ayton and Mikel. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're hoping that Cam and Ty Jerome could play. They're older players. They've had a lot of experience. They – they're, they're hopeful that those guys will be in the NBA and ready to play right away. We'll see. That's, uh, you know, as you pointed out, open for debate. Um, but I agree. I think that if they can't, and we're, you know, we're looking at an eight to nine man rotation, that's why we have uh, Chuck Diallo was here. He, he could, he could uh, sneak in to play some minutes. Um, I think uh, Mikel Bridges is probably the, you know, favorite to play the most two minutes. And that's kind of what's nice about Mikel Bridges is he, is he probably can. I think, and I want to pass this question to you, Kellen. I think that, you know, Aiton's going to get the most buzz for a player who's most – it's most important that he improves for this team to be good. But, man, Mikel Bridges is not far behind him. They really need him to be able to shoot next year. Like, that's a very important thing because if that, that guy's able to shoot next year and continues improving on the defensive end, I think he led the league in steals after the All-Star break last season. Uh, mm-hmm. They could really have, like, a third guy there, Kellen. Yeah, they, they could. Um we can talk about Mikel in a minute, but I think I think it's actually really important to hit on it, the craziest thing about these backup two minutes that we're talking about that don't really exist is this this sort of region of the depth chart that we're talking about might be the biggest swing for them from last season compared to this season because that mm-hmm. is where Max's favorite player in the universe, Jamal Crawford, spent his time. <laughs> and that is where Josh Jackson, my favorite player in the universe, spent his time <laughs> playing. And now those two guys are gone. I think Josh, it was a lot more evident on the court to me. Um, I was much more pro Jamal Crawford minutes than the majority of Suns Twitter was. Did you watch him play? I did watch him play. (laughs) And unfortunately, I had to look up net ratings while watching him play. So even when I was convincing myself, like, you know what? They just look like they know what they're doing out there. And that's fine. What? Minus 15.2? Is that what that says? <laughs> but it was it was just disastrously bad with him out there. And then Josh was just a lot more evident with watching it, watching them play when he was out there. <clears throat> so if you look at that entire, those two guys and where they played, Josh was primarily at the two or the three. So that's the Mikel Kelly kind of fill in the gap minutes we're talking about. And then with Crawford, it's kind of the Tyler Johnson minutes, I think. So just the upgrade that is where I see the biggest upgrade for this team going into next season, that they're not only going with confident basketball players, but those two guys were two of the worst, like just in, in every way, the eye test, the statistics on off, all that stuff um, of the thing. My favorite thing is um, bad stats coming out about Russell Westbrook and like is his efficiency. And then it's like, he was 430th out of 431 players. Who was that 431st player? It was Josh Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) It was just like all these stats that kept coming out about his efficiency. And it was only worth his only, the only guy that was worse was Josh. Um, and to be clear, I, I like Josh still. Like as as a 
as a gamble for Memphis, I guess. Or a I'm waiting for what you were going to say after as a. As a <laughs> I don't want to call it like a flyer because it's still like you're still getting like the value. It's not like it's free. You're still paying him money. So I think it's yep, still yep. somewhat of a gamble. And you've got this really great young nucleus going and just a player of his stature, let's say. It's it's questionable if he fits in there. Um, but a- anyway, that's that's the whole thing I see there. And that's where you get to a guy like Mikel, right? And if Mikel is just this lightning rod and maybe he's a guy who is like a six-man-of-the-year candidate, I know that's kind of crazy to talk about, but if his defense gets on enough um, sheets and six-man-of-the-year is so narrative-driven that if yeah. his defense just gets really built up enough and he's shooting 40% from three and averaging 12 points a game or whatever, and people are watching the Suns and just seeing how he impacts games time, time after time, I could see that the 50-game mark, just three or four national guys being like, yeah, Mikel Bridges for six man of the year, and he gets like fourth or fifth place votes or whatever. Um, and that's how I think like his year could unfold. I wrote the piece on ArizonaSports.com. I think the breakout season is coming in a year or two, but the craziest thing is that the biggest unknown about him was – he shot 55%, I think, of Villanova from the corners, and he mm. shot 32% in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> That's not going to continue. I'd be shocked if it did. It does not compute. That's what I wrote. Like, it just, my circuit boards in my head just start like fizzling. It doesn't make sense. So it's fascinating to me that we see this. He was so good and his breakout was so big, but his defining skill, not even his defense, it was his shooting in terms of his value, because it was like, okay, maybe defensively, like a rookie second-year player comes along slowly, whatever, he was better than we thought. But he's going to be out there in space in the floor. And if he can't space the floor, then, then yeah, I don't, it's, it's fascinating. It's, it's really cool that we have these narratives with him, Aiden, and Booker. And narrative is like it has a negative um, connotation around it sometimes, the word. But we legitimately have these narratives with those three guys to watch throughout the season. Yeah, and the narratives matter. And I'm glad you brought up six man of the year because, David, I want to throw this to you and then maybe we'll finish up on this and go to seven seconds or less. But the six man, I think, on this team right now is, is Tyler Johnson, right? He's the quintessential sixth man for this team. Mm-hmm. What do you see from him going? Because I think there's a possibility he has a really good season. He's a good player. I was actually really impressed by him. I think he gets a bad label because of his contract, uh, which is $19 million expiring now, but for a long time was worse than that. Yeah. Uh, but he is a, a very clearly a capable NBA player. As soon as the Suns got him, they got better immediately. And as soon as he got hurt, they got worse immediately. And I, I'm interested to hear what you think about him. He's more of a shooting guard, but he can kind of spot in on point guard minutes. What do, you, what do you see? Is like How important would you, I guess, here's the way to phrase it. How important would you uh, rank him among like, the Suns players next season? Like how, how big of a deal of it is it that he plays well next season? I think he's in that little group that kind of makes up whether the Suns make a, a real leap or not. You know, we're talking about Booker, you know, hopefully staying around about what he was last season from a stats perspective and then everyone else around him improving. And I think Tyler's very much a part of that. You know, I'm kind of captain of the Tyler Hive uh, fan club. You know, I really rate what he does. And I think what he does in a box score perspective doesn't really give value to what he brings on the floor. I think also, um, you know, we only saw a, a smidge of it from him in a Suns uniform last year. But, you know, it was that small sample size where the Suns were playing their best basketball on the court. And, you know, I think a lot of people look to his, you know, 
poor shooting numbers, etc. I, I don't think people realize how hard it is to get traded mid-season and learn a whole new playbook and become the starting point guard of the team. So I think we're going to see a better Tyler Johnson, hopefully recovered from the surgery that he had uh, and and fully, you know, doing a full training camp and, and really referencing um, Monty's references of Tyler Johnson here. I think, you know, as a fan that lives over in Australia, I'm always looking for little tea leaves to read from these snippets. And sometimes it leads you down, you know, bad rabbit holes and it's just a an off-the-cuff comment. But, you know, Monty keeps referencing Tyler very high when he's talking about the roster. And I think he's excited for a guy like that that just goes out and competes every night. And I would put him as, you know, along with re-signing Ubre being an important thing. I, I would put him as one of the trendsetters on this team and the one that's going to help build the culture coming over from Miami. Obviously, that expiring contract makes it really difficult of whether you know an, an opportunity comes along to, to trade him for something better. But at least to start the season, I actually think he's going to be really important, both playing with Devin Booker, if you stagger Rubio and Booker a little bit. I don't like the fit of Tyler and Rubio together so much on the court, unless it's from a defensive perspective. So, you know, I expect to still see a lot of Tyler Johnson playing with Devin Booker and then, you know, leading, I guess, a second unit as a, as a backup point guard. And, and that's where we lead into who's going to be playing next to him here. Ty Jerome probably isn't a great fit, much like Rubio with the two of them together. But, you know, a, a Tyler Johnson-led second unit with guys like Mikhail, you know, Kelly, um, some of the length and, and you know, athleticism around those guys. You know, I'm excited by a second unit that, as Callan said, is going to be a hell of a lot more reliant um, and, I guess, trustworthy on the court next year. Yeah, I think a lot of it comes down to, and we'll finish off here on Ty Jerome, who I love. Uh, if he's able to kind of translate what he was in college to the NBA, he's going to be kind of exactly what this team needs. He's going to be the next guard. They, they really need another guard beyond mm-hmm. Rubio Booker and Tyler Johnson. And Ty Jerome, if he is what he was at, at uh, Virginia, is going to be a really, really good shooter, a, a great decision maker who uh, has decent assist totals while also not turning the ball over too much. One of those guys who always makes the right play. Uh, he's not going to be very good on defense, which is going to be an inherent problem with the the entire team, but uh, specifically with the bench unit, which is going to be really bad, which is where I think you can really criticize the Suns for uh, picking up Frank Kaminsky. We won't go too far <laughs> into that with you, Kellen. But uh, I think I think the key to this team having like a really uh, you know reliable second unit is going to be them finding that two who makes sense, whether it's Mikel, whether it's Ty Jerome, whether it's Cam Johnson as Kellen initially suggested. I think that's that's sort of like the missing role for me. I, other than maybe power forward, assuming Chuck Yellow doesn't work out, uh, they decided to pass on Brandon Clark, which I, I'm not going to talk about at any more length, but they are sort of also missing that athleticism at that spot. So that, that's what I'm looking for. Kellen, any more thoughts on that before we move to seven seconds or less? Yeah, uh, two quick things. I think David's uh, thread of Cam Johnson does smart stuff and he really hmm. tries hard is really interesting if you look at a lineup of either Jerome or Johnson at point, Bridges, Ubre, Baines, and then Johnson is the four because that's just a lot of smart, tough guys who make the right play most of the time. Mm-hmm. And there's like just enough scoring there with Kelly and then the lead guard. So I, I guess it would be Johnson in this scenario and not Jerome. But I, I think ideally, 
ideally, um, for me, if everything goes according to plan, I think that actually like their best second unit would probably be Jerome Bridges, Ubre, um, Cam Johnson, and, and Baines. Because I, I think I think Johnson David hit the nail on the head with his whole with his thread and just everything you watch with Cam again, like a, to to claim like David, like I had him ranked like 18th or 19th on my own board. I just it, it doesn't make any sense in Phoenix, but I really like the player and think that if he clicks right away, he's going to be absolutely exactly what they need, even more so than, than Ty Jerome, in my opinion, just because of having that shooting threat, but also just a guy who's going to make Mikel like contributions, you know, cause that was, that was so important to the team last year when they were playing well was those Mikel games where he only scored 10 points against that in that win against the Warriors, but he was huge. Um, yep. So yeah, I, I think Cam, since he's in this group of like two guards, I wanted to bring up and then, um, yeah, Ty, it's a really good point on Tyler Johnson with David because I think he's just that guy who you go on this 11-2 to two run in the mid-second quarter or the late third quarter and you don't remember about it when the team wins. But like that yeah. little stretch where they gave you that stability back, that's Tyler Johnson. That's exactly what he does. He did it a couple of times last year, and he's in a role to actually do that this year. So I, mm-hmm. I think I'm with David. I think he's a really important player for them. And if he is what he is supposed to be, which is – my whole trepidation with the team as a whole, because if I just got guarantees that the top nine guys are doing what they're supposed to be doing, I'll pick them to win 36 games, but I just Mm -hmm. don't think that's going to happen. Uh, And, and Johnson is one of the guys that could swing for me. I I think he's one of those guys who could just drop off randomly. Um, It it happens to a lot of guys, but with him, it's, it's exactly that. It's like just getting the momentum of the game, bringing stability. I think he's the perfect guy for that role. Yeah, I think the way to put it in my mind is the margin for error in the past seasons was negative. They were bad no matter what. Now the margin for error is razor thin. Like they could be good, but everything has to go well. Before there was no chance at all. Now everything has to go right. But let's go ahead and move on to seven seconds or less. We're going to do it a little different this time, guys. All three of us have prepared questions for the others. This is going to be fun. Uh, Who wants to go first? Dave, you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. I cheated a little by adding two questions in one here, but mm. who is your favorite non-Booker Suns shooting guard ever? And who is your favorite non-Jordan shooting guard ever in the NBA? And I'm going to go with my answers first to give you both a little bit of time to think about it. But I'd have to go with Barbosa for my Suns pick, who's not exactly a traditional shooting guard, but none of the guys we talked about today really are traditional shooting guards either. Uh, I loved LB in, in Phoenix. And for the NBA, I'll go with a similar theme and take Allen Iverson. Max, how about you? I'm not old enough to have watched Walter Davis, so I got to go with Raja Bell. Uh, Raja yes. Bell clothesline and Kobe Bryant sealed it for me forever, probably, besides Booker. <laughs> uh, and then in terms of league-wide, well, that's tough. I think uh, this is jumping in my head right now. I love Dwayne Wade. I always love Dwayne Wade. So I'm going to go with him for now, but I got to think a little more on that before I definitively answer. Yeah, I actually Callum? cheated and Googled uh, shooting guards because I didn't want to like miss someone obvious. Uh, for the Suns, <laughs> I will tease my question and say Rex Chapman. Fun fact, I own a Rex Chapman throwback. Mm, um, nice. <clears throat> I have I have a story with, with mine coming up, but yeah, there's there's more to uh, why why I was such a huge fan of him. I'm a D Wade guy. I absolutely adored him when he was in his prime. I, I think like the whole, the point guard aspects of his game were really, un- I think one of the greatest performances in, in basketball in the past 20 years was that run where Shaq went down and he was 23, mm-hmm. 24 in that finals. And he was like, okay, 
I'm going to win the NBA Finals now. Please step aside. And he just – his averages were absolutely insane. And because of LeBron joining him, which, again, is like part of the risk in doing that whole super team thing, his legacy is a bit diminished, but he's – one of the best two guards of all time. And One more for you, Kellen. Do you remember true. when uh, in the 2008 Beijing Olympics, how he was the best player in the team? Yes, I do remember. I didn't do the seven seconds or less thing right there. I just realized that. I'm sorry. <laughs> we never do. <laughs> all right, Kellen, you can, you can go next. Okay, so you guys asked me. You guys asked me before I came on yesterday. Um, I'm going to ask a question. It's two guard related, and I just the first two guard that came into my head was Rex Chapman. <laughs> and the background for me with Rex Chapman is that I own a throwback of his. It's it's the purple. Um, what are the Suns ones called? The Barkley era ones. The the term sunburst. Yeah. Uh, what is it? Sunburst, right? Yeah, the sunburst. Yeah, exactly. So it, uh, the purple sunburst is an awesome jersey. Obviously, like can't wear it now. I'm not a fan of the team anymore or whatever, and cover the team. So there's a bit of a <laughs> contradiction. Like you imagine seeing me walking around with a Rex Chapman jersey, like a yikes. Uh, so. I actually like used to practice the Rex Chapman shot that uh, Suns fans will know and love um, where he hit that crazy fadeaway on the right wing. And like, I actually remember vividly me and my dad went to like some Suns fan get together kind of like promotional thing. And they had like a contest where Al McCoy's like play, they played the Al McCoy radio segment where it's like, the whole, I can't remember it by word or anything, but like inbounds the ball, Chapman at the buzzer, da, 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 and you like actually got to take the shot and I like took it as a kid all the time. <laughs> so I, I was obsessed with him. So with that being said, and the emotional investment I have in Rex Chapman, where do we stand with the whole blocker charge videos thing? Because I'm against it because I'm pretty sure he's shown at least like four murders and I'm not, I'm not cool with seeing people die on my timeline. I'm sorry. It's it's a very fun exercise at times, but I didn't mean to bring such a dire tone. And it was meant to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I see some of those videos, and I'm like, okay, clearly that person died or had very very serious injuries. Like, can we not show that Rex Rex Chapman? And this is the thing: it's Rex Chapman that is this person who is doing this. So, where do you guys stand on the blocker charge videos? Because if you're on Twitter, you you have seen them for sure. I could jump in. I, I, first of all, it's, I, I think if I were already convicted of stealing lots of property uh, <laughs> recently, I probably wouldn't be posting murder videos as my follow act. But uh, yeah, I'm totally with you. I mean, I think the concept of it's kind of funny, but I think that when you start getting into the area where people are being, you know, maimed or killed, it's not. It's, it's less funny to me. I don't know. I don't know if I'm weird or not, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, I'm not into them myself, but I I specifically said weirdly divisive in my did you know segment because the uproar around them i find to be a little bit weird because you know you can just unfollow or even mute or yeah. block if you really don't want to see stuff so i find that part of it and the uh, outrage about his videos to be probably funnier than the videos themselves these days a guy who finds these videos for him because he just just turns and burns these things there's a new one every day you're I assume he gets tagged in, in any viral video oh, yeah, constantly. Right. Yeah, I, David, that's a great point. All I got to say is the First Amendment, uh, you don't have that in your country. You probably have something similar. I don't know what amendment. <laughs> but uh, uh, it includes not not uh, pay attention to speech. Like, not only is your speech protected, you don't have to listen to other people. So just not don't follow him. Like, don't follow anybody <laughs> you don't want to listen to. It's very easy. But uh, anyway, all right, I'll get to my question. Uh, never talk about politics again on this podcast. God bless. Uh, Stick so, to right. sports. <laughs> we spent a lot of time raving about Devin Booker on this podcast, guys. So I'm going to test your love for him. We'll start with David. David, 
Would you take off the last year of Devin Booker's contract if you could have Igor Kokoskov back? <laughs> I think you need to add like clauses to that. Like, does he get two years of Igor? Does he get three years of Igor? Because there's like... no, there's no sureties here. He gets oh, Igor for this season at best. <laughs> I mean, I assume that he just becomes a free agent, and we can definitely re-sign him if things have gone well. So yeah, I'm going to take the, the fourth, yeah, the four years instead of five. I, I'm going to take the the alley oop that you're giving me to just potentially suggest that Eagle would have done very, very well with this new roster that has been built in Phoenix, and that uh, something I pointed out on Twitter earlier this week. We signed Monty Williams for a, a, a nice PR factor, and then all they really did with that is go out and sign the point guard that Igor Kokoskov has helped the most in the NBA. So uh, <laughs> how's that for a little bit of irony, Max? <laughs> I like that. Uh, Kellen, your question is similar, but not the same. You have to decide. I, I've been a poll about this, but I don't remember your answer. Devin Booker or Kyler Murray, Kellen? In terms of like... You get to keep one. Oh, Booker. Dude, Kyler hasn't played yet. Yeah, we, but we Kyler Murray, sit there and talk Kellen. About this, Max. I'm really worried about you. Like, you are... <laughs> it is beyond so here's the thing. You're super hyped about this, and I get it because here's what's gonna happen. Kyle Murray's gonna be good, and you know who's gonna be the number one? I believed him from the start guy. It's gonna be you because oh my god, the proclamations from you about Kyler have been just extreme and I love it. But well, at what point do you feel like you are already in this reality where he's really good and we haven't seen him play in the NFL yet? Oh, I'm there. If he's not good, <laughs> I'll be shocked. And I might have to just retire from Twitter. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I, for, for me, he's already a star, and we're just waiting for it to come to fruition. We got, we got to talk after the mics go off. <laughs> uh, I got some things to tell you about. What Wrap it up. Wrap yeah. it up, All Max. Right. That is it for us. Kellen, please uh, promote anything you want. ArizonaSports.com, at Empire of the Suns on Twitter. All the Suns coverage you could possibly desire. I'm finally stopping from writing Suns things for the next four to six weeks probably, but once training camp starts rolling around, we'll be season previewing it up. You guys are just rolling through the offseason. We'll we'll have a podcast as well. We didn't have one this week because I I was out sick the whole time, but we'll be there as well. Um, figuring out ways to fill in, but in terms of season preview stuff, probably we're another four to six weeks away. We're gonna we're gonna take our time and uh, step away there. Yeah, take some time off, Kelly. You deserve it. Uh, Thanks, as far as we go, rate, review, and subscribe. As always, we really appreciate it, David. Thank you. This was fun. This one I really enjoyed. Thanks to Kellen for coming on. And yeah, we've noticed the listeners trending upwards in the off season. So feel free to rate and review us. We love to read that stuff, Max. And I will talk to you all next week. Yeah, and we love the review we recently got. So we'll read that next time. And we'll also read any other ones that we love. Thanks, guys.